today we actually start chapter 2. So woohoo! So if you've got your Bible, turn to Matthew 2. Um, if you don't, we have the, the scripture on the screen for you. You know, a couple weeks ago when we talked about the, the genealogy and the family lineage of Jesus, I, I said you can't control what family you're born into. Um, and God has placed you in that family for a specific purpose and for his purpose and specific reason. Um, there's another thing that we kind of end up in that we can't control, and that's certain situations. There are certain situations and circumstances that happen around us that we can't control, that honestly sometimes we don't like, and sometimes we might like them, and we have no control. And we tend to project that the situation is guiding us instead of us being present in the situation. And I want to talk to you this morning about how you respond in those situations. Because just as you don't have the choice as what family you're born into, you have the choice of what you're going to do with it. And sometimes there are situations that you get placed in that you don't have a choice on whether or not you want to be in this situation, but you have a choice on how you respond. One of the things that, that go along with my role as a pastor is marital counseling. Um, and I use counseling very carefully. We have licensed counselors that we can hook you up with. Um, I kind of give you some spiritual direction for your relationship. And what I have noticed about, about relationships is they're quite complicated. Um, and, and there's these moments that you have uh, conflict, and it's a situation that no one wants to be in, and both parties want out as quick as they can, but both parties want to get out right. And so there you have the joy and the fun of a marriage. You can just imagine what this is like. I'm sure you've lived it. Um, and what I try to tell couples and individuals, and not just in marital counseling, but premarital counseling to try to kind of head some things off before they start, but just in relational advice, is you cannot be accountable for the other person. You cannot control what the other person decides to say or do or circumstances they give you. But you can control you. God has given me a handful with myself. And sometimes I have a hard time controlling myself, much less the frustration when I try to control someone else. If you're a parent, you understand this frustration with your kids um, because you are, I created you, child. I brought you in this world. I'll take you out. The words of Bill Cosby. You will do what I say. You will sit there. You will eat. You will do. And, and we kind of get this control, and we want to control the other person. And the more we try to control, really, the more conflict starts to occur. And that's what I want to talk about this morning is, is our responses to certain situations and our responses really to life and really end up with our response to the King and our response to who Jesus is and who the Christ is in our life. And so in Matthew 2, we're going we're gonna to roll into this. I'm going to read a couple verses and we're going to dissect them a little bit. And uh, here is the, uh, here's the first part. Verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? 
We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. And then when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. You see, what's going on here is, remember, we've been talking through and Jesus has been born. He's been born into this, this really dynamic, dysfunctional lineage of humans. And then he has been born of a divine nature that God said at this point in time, Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, will enter into humanity for the redemption of many men's sins. And I say many men, it's because we have that choice, how we respond. And so what's going on is before, before Jesus was born, there were magi or wise men, and they're also considered kings of their land. They saw this star. Magi were people who studied the constellations and studied what was going on around them in nature because, yes, there is a tie between science and spirituality, and God created it all and uses it all. And so they were watching what was going on. They knew the prophecy. And they knew that the Son of God was coming. And they were focused on this. And they saw this star. They saw this sign. And they began to follow it. And when they came into Bethlehem after the birth of Christ, they, they stopped by the palace. Why could they get audience with the king? Because they were of a royal line. They were kings. It's not just... Three men, foreign dignitaries or foreign guys, show up at the palace and go, Hey, we would like to seek audience with King Herod. Is, is he by chance available? <laughs> no, they had a right to enter into the palace. And they said, We've come to find where this star is pointing. Because it's not the star that we're following, but who it's pointing to. And so they, they get audience with Herod and they said, We want to know where Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, has been born so we may go worship him. And then it says Herod was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. See, Herod was the king. And the first response that we see in this passage is pride. And, and Herod, if you think about it, he had amassed his kingdom. I mean, life was rolling his way. If you, if you kind of understand the king, it's what he says goes. And there was a lot of corruption in the palace. Uh, power brought a lot of corruption. You know, things have changed some. <laughs> I say that out loud. I've got to exercise my inner monologue this week. <laughs> and so Herod had built his kingdom. And this thought of a new king and the prophecy of the king of the Jews, which meant Herod was going to lose his place. And pride had his hands gripped so tight on his position, on his authority, on everything that he had built, that he couldn't stand to let it go. He couldn't stand the thought that he may miss out on what he had built. King Solomon said it this way. He said, this is madness and it's foolishness that I amass all of this stuff that I work and I toil and I gather everything and then I have to give it to somebody else? He said, that's chasing the wind. You could, you could uh, bring that into our teenager term. That is stupid. You know, that's dumb. My daughter used to say, that's dumb. Well, no, it, it makes sense. But King Herod had built his kingdom. Have you 
really kind of taken stock of your kingdom lately? About this, this, all these things that we amass. God has put Heather and I through this process of, of letting a lot go here lately. Um, I w- we're getting ready to go on vacation. And I pulled my camera out of the office. And I'm looking through just to make sure I have room for this vacation. And this camera, we have vacations back probably three years on this camera. And, and I'm flipping through, oh, oh, yeah, I remember that vacation. And then I got the pictures of our, our last house. And it was a very quick, fresh reminder of what we'd walked away from. And we had spent years building that kingdom. I mean, we'd worked jobs. We had saved. We had, we had amassed our stuff. And then Jesus came in and says, I want you to lay that down for me. <laughs> Let me tell you something. I, I don't consider myself very prideful. I'm a very humble person, by the way. No, I'm just kidding. But it's amazing that when something you hold very dear is asked to be given up or it's threatened, I would much rather be, know that it's being asked to be given up than to feel threatened with it. Have you felt that way in the organization at work? How about getting a new boss? I, I worked in corporate world. I understand what this is all about. We used to do this exercise called reorganization, you know, or the great word downsizing. That meant somebody's coming that, that they couldn't do this job, so they're coming to do... No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to soapbox. But I remember, and, and, and I worked in a call center, and the environment of a call center is, 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 is quite vibrant, if you will. And I remember when a, a new manager was coming in. And, and the, you have these thoughts about this new manager. You haven't met them, and you've already started to form opinions and biases and start to build up the walls because what's going to happen? You know they're coming in and they're in charge. And I can remember conversations of, well, why do they got to bring somebody in to be in charge of us? We've got this down, man. Why do, they, why do we need a leader? I mean, we do our jobs. Yeah, I'm sure we could do better, but we do pretty good. And they're bringing in this new boss that not only are we going to have to follow, but we're going to have to train this new boss. And so we start to feel threatened and, and we, we hold on because we get into this, this prideful attitude of this is mine. I built this. I made this. I worked hard for this. And regardless of how we got to it, whether we lie, cheat, or do it honestly, we've got it and we don't want to let it go. And King Herod was troubled because he didn't want to let go. I mean, he had built his power. He had a name amongst the community. He wouldn't let go. I want you to, I want you to skip down to verse 7 and 8 here, and let's look at some response, uh, the response to pride. I mean, here's what happens. is Herod, a little bit later, calls these, these wise men in secretly. And I'll read this. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. Now when you stop there, you think, Oh, it looks like Herod, maybe, maybe he wants to get into this now. Maybe, maybe God in this few verses has touched his heart, so now that he does want to submit to this king, Jesus, 
But what you find is this is very secretive and manipulative, and it's divisive. He calls the wise men in secretly and says, I just want to know exactly when did that star appear? And then I want you to go and find this king. Tell me where he's at so that I can go and worship him. Okay, we're going to get into the rest of the story later, but Herod had no intention of bowing before this king. Next week, we're going to get into this, this flight of Jesus where Herod went on a rampage of murdering children to get rid of the threat. You see, pride, when we, we see and perceive a threat, we become very divisive, very manipulative, very scheming, so that we can continue to get our way. Because pride is me puffing up and saying, I don't need anything but me. I don't need anyone's help. I don't need anyone telling me what I should do. I don't want to change. And so if there's a threat of this on the horizon, then I'm going to do whatever I can to protect that if my attitude and my response is prideful. If I'm full of myself, I'm going to make sure that myself gets pushed on every situation. And the goal becomes to get rid of the threat as quickly as possible. But then this pride thing, we still have to do it to where we look good, you know? Because Herod just couldn't call him in and say, show me where the boy's at, I'm going to take care of the threat. Because this is a menace to my kingdom. No baby is going to come in and knock me off the throne. Now that's pridefully driven, however, think about what the public opinion of Herod then becomes. He doesn't get to make himself look good. And we, we approach the king, we approach Jesus with this prideful mentality and prideful attitude. You know, when, when we find out that there is a God that created us and loves us intimately and loves each one of us and has a purpose and a plan and a design for us, if we will just submit to it, I can tell you pride gets in the way of a lot of us bowing down before this king. Because when we find out that he has a plan for my life, is that what I want? Because I kind of like the plan that I've worked so hard and built into for my life. And for me to submit to this king means I may lose a hold of this life that I dream. And we completely miss out that God's imagination is so much greater than ours that we can't even imagine and I was just, during worship this morning, I was just listening to you guys sing and just thinking, God, I can't imagine not doing that. Because if I would have let my pride get in the way, I would have missed this opportunity. And even people coming to Jesus have to get past pride. But here's something that I want to caution all of us is when we, we get this relationship with this king, we can tend to get very religious and very prideful. And this pride puts off this holier-than-thou attitude. I can't use words strong enough to describe how I feel about that attitude. 
But we get in this attitude and mindset so we begin to look down our noses at the people around us and think, well, you, how can you bring that mess to God? How could you expect me to bring myself into this environment? Because this is what God has rescued me. Let me tell you, that does not have anywhere, any place in God's kingdom. I mean, when, when Jesus called Matthew to follow him, Matthew took Jesus to the party, remember? And Jesus took some heat because the Pharisees had this pride looking down their nose at Jesus going, what kind of king, Messiah, son of God, would sit there and eat and drink with sinners and prostitutes and tax collectors. Jesus said, the Son of God will sit down with people who need. The Son of God will sit down with people who are hurting. Pride has no place in that. And pride will, will hinder us from bowing before Jesus, and pride will hinder us from going any further with Jesus. What we end up is if we may bow to, to become a follower of Christ and then pride takes on, and then what happens is we become a snotty little brat that is one of Jesus' kids. And, and honestly, we can only last in pride for so long. And God says, I will humble you. If you exalt yourself, God says, but if you humble yourself, I'll pick you up. Let's look at another reaction. A second reaction we're going to read about here is indifference. This is a very dangerous one. This is like a silent killer. This is like the carbon monoxide of relationships. And so let's, let's read here. Let's back up to verse 4. And it says, when, uh, when, he, when Herod called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. They responded, in Bethlehem in Judea. For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Now, Here's what's going on, is Herod calls in the chief priests and teachers of the law. By the way, this was a very prestigious position that had, in Herod's rule, had been expanded. And so there was a, a lot of these chief priests, and they had a great position. They had great power as well. They had audience with the king. I mean, the king would ask them advice on spiritual matters. So what does the prophecy say about this? And they felt very important. But the way they approached it was not with pride, but was with indifference. When they were asked about the Christ, and they knew the prophecies, they just simply repeated back the prophecy. Indifference is, is neither a like or dislike towards either way. They just kind of middle of the road answered, 
and indifference when I say it's this, it's the silent killer of relationships. It's, it's our inability to make a choice. It's our inability to say, yes, I'm going to submit to God, or no, I'm not. And what happens is we, we end up going through life with this wavering. I think probably the best way we see indifference in our relationship is this way. Honey, where do you want to eat? Where would you like to eat? I don't know. I picked last time. Well, do you want... And then you start with, do you want Italian? No, we had that the other night. Do you want... I don't know. Do you want pizza? No. I don't want pizza. Let's do something healthy. Okay, well, what do you want? I don't know. And then you're never happy with... No. My canned response now is Blue Moon Cafe. So... Chicken fried steak, baby. That'll be a killer of a different kind. 40 weight gravy. But indifference means we're not willing to make a decision. Indifference says, I can take him or leave him. Indifference says, that's great that Jesus works for you, but I'm just, I just don't think that's for me. Indifference is what says... I can do this without either end of it. And we try to live life down this happy medium. You know, well, I, I'm, a, I'm a good person. You know, I, I, I'm not as bad as that person. Well, there's pride. Or I, I'm not as good as that person. Well, there's a hint of humility. But you're trying to stay indifferent. I mean, you're trying to be Switzerland. Jesus has a very strong word about this in Revelation. He says, you're lukewarm. And I will spit you out of my mouth. I mean, really, and, and Christians, here's, here's the thing. Indifference will hinder us from, from coming to the king and surrendering everything we have to the king. But where indifference really, really starts to make its mark and take its toll in our life is as a Christ follower, we become indifferent to the things of God. Well, I just, you know, I don't think God would want me to do that with my life. Well, I don't think God, He may be calling you to this level of holiness. He may be calling you to this level of accountability. But I don't think He's calling me there. I, I, I think, you know, church is good, but I just don't think it's a, a necessity or a priority in my life. But I'm glad that works for you. You know, spending time in the Word is, I see it good for you, but I just, ah. It's the Randy Jackson face on American Idol. That, ah, ah, I don't know, dog. Yo, 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 ah, you know. That's my indifference face, I guess. But that will start to kill our relationship with people, with Christ, with the church. And honestly, what this starts to do is people who are indifferent aren't moving forward. People who are indifferent aren't moving backward. But here's what I know. If we're not moving forward, it's only a matter of or we fall. And then we look years down the road and back at our life 
couple yesterday, and they're, they're getting married next week. And we talked about not just planning a wedding, but planning a Because no couple stands at the altar and makes a commitment to God and plans to be in Very few couples come to that altar with a plan Difference says, let's go along with this. As people who submit our life to Christ, we have to pray for God to do something. Or we never end up We see everyone else and go, yeah, I see what God's doing in their life. And, you know, our indifference may justify it for a while. But I see what God's doing in their life. And you know, honestly, I want that. I want that faith and that courage and that, that strength to stand under pressure like that. And yeah, that person didn't invite that situation in, but look at how they have so much strength through what they're going through. The way I see that person living their life is a testimony to how I want to live my life. And we can be the example for people to step out of indifference and step into a commitment that says, I want a different life. I want this life God's created me to live. That he's designed me and me alone to live. That's what I want. There's no indecisiveness about what I want. That's a response to the king that when we approach him, it's not that we can take or leave. You know, he's not a threat to me because it doesn't matter. Very important. Let's look at the third response. Go to verse 9. You can imagine, this is after they had their secret meeting with the king. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they return to their country by another route. Here's a response. Humility. That here you have kings that have given up, some say years, of this journey and this process of seeking Of following this sign that points to the king. And when they get there and they see the king, they bow before. They were overjoyed. They laid their gifts at this baby's feet. Humility will allow us to bow down. I heard one man say, it's not a man's ability to bow up. It shows true strength of character, true determination. 
These men were kings. These men were brilliant. their life at the hands of the Christ. They had, honestly, if you look back, they had every right to have some pride, honestly. Because they figured it out. They knew what this star was about. I mean, you, you think we have all this ability to look at the constellations right now that 2,000 years ago these men could figure this out? You would think that these men could be indifferent about it because of how many miles they had to travel. Well, yeah, that's great that Jesus is coming, but that is a long journey. You know how long that camel ride can be. One comedian said they probably had to bow down because their butt was so sore from the camel but when they entered the place where Jesus was, and they saw him there with his mother, and they had followed the sign, they, they gave a response that allows us to approach this King of Kings, this Lord of Lords, with humility. To say, here's all that I am, and all that I have, and I lay it down, I lay myself down, and let me tell you something. Humility will cost us something every time. These kings brought gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh, or incense and myrrh, depending on which version or who's singing the Christmas carol. But humility will cost us something every time. Here is something that will cost, that humility will cost every time. Because when we enter this situation, and we have to make that choice on how to respond. And our first reaction is because we are me-centered. It's about me. To operate, to live with humility, it's going to cost me. I have to be willing to sacrifice my pride. My brother-in-law took me riding motorcycles a couple weeks ago for the first time in 12 years. And in front of all these people, I fell off the motorcycle. And I get up. Yeah, you do the check, you know. Everything working okay? And my brother-in-law says, are you okay? And I said, nothing hurt but my pride. You know, God will allow us to sacrifice our own pride. And if we don't, he will sacrifice it for us. Because when we humble ourselves, God will lift us. We exalt ourselves, God will kick us. See, humility is the place where we have to we have to live. Humility is an attitude we have to get used to because without humility we miss the interaction with the king. Without humility we're not able to submit ourselves into his life, into his hands. Without humility, we can't even enter into the sacrifice that he gave for us. Without humility, we can't deny ourselves, pick up our cross. Humility costs us every time. 
I would much rather pay the price of humility cost Because with humility I get with pride question for us is where are we? Where is our attitude towards this King? Our attitude towards Jesus, towards the Christ. See, all the signs around us, not just a star, we don't have the star like the wise men had, but we have all of these signs around us that point us to the Christ. Scripture says all creation points to the knowledge of Christ. Solomon in his wisdom said that he has set eternity in our hearts. There is something in us that is drawing us to this king. And when we get there, depending on our response, we'll either say we're willing to submit or it's not for me. Or we lay it all on the line. Anything that is better than all that I have. Your imagination that, that created me, created a life for me. I humble myself. We need to humble ourselves. Because when we, when we follow Christ, we have to continue to humble ourselves to live His will. Paul said it best, every day I have to die. I have to say, God, here's what I want, but, it, but I want what you want more than what I want. So lead me, guide me, and I humble myself to follow you today. Because this attitude of humility will destroy our faith, it will destroy our relationships, it will destroy this church. God does in us and through us and for us. We will turn that praise and give glory back to God for what He does in our lives. And our response, we have to remember, something happens, response. Make that choice to respond. How do we do that? We ask God, God help me make the right choice. God, fill me with your spirit so that when this situation comes upon me, I can make the right choice. Pray for God to slow down your thinking. I do that. One cuts you off. God, slow down my thinking. <laughs> God bless you. Got all fingers up that time. That is how we start this process. God, slow down my thinking so that I respond in the way that brings you the most glory. God, slow down my thinking so that I respond in the way that others see your redemption. God, help my responses reflect you, not me. God, help my responses reflect grace, mercy, love, peace, forgiveness.
Father, we uh, we just looked at three very distinctly different people in Scripture and how they responded they responded to you. God, I don't know if anyone in this room identified with uh, that attitude of pride of what, what they may have to give up for you. God, I just ask that you help break that pride in a, a soft way, in a painless way, so that it's not what do we give up to follow you. What do we gain? What does this world mean? God, I don't know if there's any that are just indifferent. They know the stories. They know... Uh, they know the truth. They know they know what's going on, but God, they just won't come in. God, it's not my argument. It's not my Father, I pray that they choose that they choose. They choose peace. God, I pray that we're all able to associate with the wise men and humble ourselves. Not just this morning and in front of everybody else. God, it's easy to do that in an environment like this where it's safe, that we're 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 all focused on you. But God, I pray that you give us the courage and the strength to humble ourselves tomorrow morning before we go to the office. God, humble ourselves before we have the interactions with those around us. And God, would you please just slow down our thinking so that when we enter in these situations where a response Help us to submit ourselves into Scripture and to learning your word so that your character